today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. First of all, Merry Christmas, everyone. It is a joy to gather together to worship as one body. And we don't get to do this too often because of our two worship services, as well as the fact that we don't get a chance to do this with our children. Um, there was a while ago where during Christmas Day worship, I would uh, take a few moments to give a word to the kids and I'd do a Christmas reading for them, but not today. Sorry, kids. <laughs> but I, I do think that there is something significant about your children seeing you worship the Lord by listening to a message, by singing by remembering that truly Christ is Lord and Savior. And as we look at today's passage, I think it's in every way, you might say, a Christmas story. It's not necessarily one that you would think of when you think of the birth of Jesus, but it is a Christmas story because in it, Jesus makes this pronouncement, I am the light of the world. And if there is one thing that we know during the Christmas season is that we are living in darkness, but Christ is the light. And that's essentially our two themes, our two parts of our overview. There's darkness in this world, but Jesus is the light of the world. So first, we'll look at this darkness. I'm going to go into a lot more significant detail next week about this blind man. So we're not going to spend a lot of time looking at his life per se, but focus more on one idea. If we look at verse 1, we're told, as he passed by Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. Blindness in Jesus' day was almost a death sentence. At the very least, it meant that you were going to live your life in utter poverty. There were no ADA laws to accommodate someone like this. If you've ever walked across the street, you know that as soon as the walk sign is on and it says it, there's a reason why it says it, because it's for the blind. It's to give appropriation and accommodation to someone who has no sight. But that certainly was not Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, if you were blind, there was no hope for you. You were impoverished and you were helpless and there was hopelessness. So this concept of darkness and blindness, as we see throughout the Gospel of John, is something that is not just a physical blindness, but far more substantial. It's a spiritual blindness. And that's the background, not just of John chapter 9, it's the background of the Christmas story. I don't know if you ever noticed that when you hear the Christmas story, much of it takes place at night. The shepherds are keeping watch at night. Jesus, the Lord, he could have called the shepherds in the daytime, but it was at night. 
the wise men, they see the star probably at night. We don't know exactly what time Jesus was born, but we do know that they were searching for a place to have this birth. And we don't know exactly when Herod killed those babies and those children, but it's not unfathomable to think that it took place in the evening because there's something about the darkness. And I know kids, some of you are scared of the dark, but it's not just kids, it's adults too. Whereas there's a a fear that comes about when it's really dark. I know this is gonna sound weird, but sometimes uh, I go into the elevator room, which is if you go into the elevator room, and kids, I don't want you to do this, but there's this room right next to the elevator, and you go in, it has no windows. And so sometimes I have to go get something, and I walk in, and it's, I close the door, and it's a very heavy door, and it closes, and I'm always thinking, I wonder what it's going to be like if I turn off the light. So I do. I go turn off the light, and you know what? I cannot see my hand in front of my face. It is pitch black. And you can only stay in that type of context for so long before you just want to run out and get out of there. Darkness is very foreboding because it seems hopeless and helpless. You have no ability to do anything. But the Bible tells us that when it comes to God, there's no such thing as darkness. In 1 John 1.5, it says, in him is no darkness at all. Everything is light to God. So it's not just physical darkness that Jesus is talking about here. It's the foreboding evil that darkness conveys, it symbolizes. It's the evil of sin and Satan. I think when we think of spiritual darkness, we think of monsters and demons and oppressions. And while those are a part of the spiritual darkness of our day, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, there's a different type of darkness. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This type of darkness is one in which Satan and sin causes a person to have no ability to see Christ. Now, they can sing Christmas carols. They can see a cross. You might hear stories, and some of you know all the stories about Jesus, but what it cannot do is cause you to believe in him, to trust him, to follow him, to worship him. And when that doesn't take place, we can't see outside of our own spiritual bubble. It's a deep self-centeredness that says, I can do this on my own. I can live this life on my own. Whatever you're troubled by right now, whatever your worries are, whatever your greatest problems are, that darkness is foreboding and it will last. Even if there are peaks and valleys where sometimes the darkness seems to dispel and dissipate, but it always seems to come back. But know this, is that that darkness does not have to control you. Now, I've had the privilege and opportunity, as perhaps some of you will, to go to Malawi this year. That's a shameless plug for the Malawi team, to consider going to Africa. But one of the incredible blessings that you get when you go to a place like Malawi 
is you get to meet a lot of the care workers. These are grandmothers mostly, and they are women who are caring for multiple children who have lost their lives, the parents have, due to a disease or some sort of accident. Something has happened in their life where they're just orphans. And so you have these grandmothers, and by the way, they have nothing to eat. And when I say nothing, to give you an idea, I remember going into a home once of a child-headed home. So basically, it was this one boy who lived in this house. And if you know anything about Africa, you know that these children cannot go to an orphanage because if they do, they lose the one possession they have, which is their house, their land that their parents had given to them over an extended period of time, generations. And so what happens is a lot of these children stay in these houses on their own, completely vulnerable. I remember visiting this boy and he was by himself and uh, a few of us went into his house and did a holy home visit with him. And he happened to have some food and he offered it to us and it was a plate full of mice, dead mice. And he said, this is the food that I have. He also had a little mouse as his pet. He, he tied the end of the tail to a little stick and allowed it like a, a leashed dog or something to sort of go and come back and he would play with this mouse. That is his worldly possessions. So these grandmothers watch over children like this who have nothing. You know, when I look at their lives, I, you would think they would be on antidepressants. You would think they would be glum all day, sad, miserable. They barely have anything to eat. So they're constantly going to bed hungry. But all I hear is joy, singing, dancing. Now, it doesn't mean there's no difficulty. But it doesn't compute to someone like me who lives in a place of luxury where you have someone who has nothing and is caring for children who have nothing and they're barely surviving and yet there is joy. And there's only one answer. It is Christ the Lord. That's it. There's no reasonable explanation for something like a person having joy in the midst of deep sorrows. But yet on the reverse, you have all of us. We live in a place of incredible resources, luxuries, and yes, we do have luxuries. But tragically, there's so much sadness and depression on so often looking for therapists and medications to try to undo all of the darkness, the despair, the depressions, Jesus came into this world to rid us of this darkness. It doesn't mean that the darkness, as long as we're in this world, will be gone for within this world in our time. It still lasts, but like these grandmothers in Zimbabwe and Malawi, who are able to trust in the Lord and in the midst of darkness experience joy, that's the Christmas story. He doesn't say to the blind man definitively that he's going to heal him at that point. He does eventually. The blind man doesn't know it. But what he does say is, I am the light of the world. And even in the midst of your blindness, I'm still the light of the world. That's why the birth story of Jesus is filled with so much darkness, spiritual darkness. There's the darkness of an emperor. His name is Augustus Caesar. 
because of his own thirst for power and his ability to do whatever he wanted as emperor, he decided, I'm going to have a census. You know what the purpose of the census was? So that he could collect taxes. So everybody who lived in, within the Roman Empire had to go to their hometown to register so that taxes could be collected by Caesar to make the emperor of Rome, in particular Caesar, great. So it didn't matter what the peons, what type of efforts or energies or even inconveniences or sometimes real trouble, what they had to go through because Caesar just said, I get to do whatever I want. I am emperor, I am king. So he forces people all over the empire to go to their hometowns. Because of this, Mary, who is pregnant with a child, and by the way, we know her story. It's a pretty dark story, actually. This is not a story of a really nice birth and in a nice hospital with a labor and delivery room and doctors on beck, on beck and call on rotations. This is a, a, not a woman, probably a girl, anywhere from 14 to 18 years old, somewhere there, who finds out she is pregnant and she's never known a man. Think about that for a moment. That's pretty dark. And then she's already betrothed, which in Jesus' day meant essentially married, legally married, to Joseph. Joseph hears about this pregnancy. Can you imagine what that conversation must have been like between Mary and Joseph, where Mary has to say, I'm going to have a child. I'm pregnant. What do you think? How hard would it have been for Mary to say that to Joseph? How hard would it have been to, for Joseph to hear that and know that he's never been with Mary? And so, as we all know, we know the story, he's an honorable man, meaning he's kind and compassionate and really gracious because if he had told the leaders, the temple, the synagogue, uh, the Pharisees what had happened, the right punishment for adultery would have been, she would have been stoned to death. Joseph was not that type of man. Instead, he decided to divorce her quietly, which is actually, in the midst of darkness, a still a dark story, but not as dark as being stoned to death. And so, an angel visits. He decides not to divorce her. The angel says, you need to stay with her, Joseph. You need to go through this together. And so they decide to head on their way. And we don't know, was there a donkey that Mary was traveling in? Did she have to walk? It was about 70 miles. A 70-mile journey, either by foot or on donkey. Now, when I first moved to the Bay Area with my wife, we... Uh, we were pregnant. We're not we were pregnant. She was pregnant. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to take any credit for what's not due. She was pregnant with our first daughter, Carissa. And um, as we were driving from Chicago to here, pretty much, even though it was such a beautiful sight, she missed it all because she was so nauseous. It was a very difficult trip. This is in a car, sleeping in hotels. Here we have Mary. I don't know where she was in the birth process, but it was a difficult journey, 70 miles, either on foot or on an animal. Again, 
another part of our dark story that you just don't really think about until you really do think about it. And then, of course, there's Herod, this crazed king, who literally is so egomaniacal that he decides to wipe out not just every baby born, but up to two years old, because he didn't want to be threatened by a, a king. That's a lot of darkness, a lot. So Jesus' entry into this world, it's just constant darkness. It would never fade from the point that he was born until on that cross when darkness covered the land. Darkness would reign. And this is why Jesus says, in the midst of that darkness, I am the light. I'm your hope. I'm the means by which it will not remain dark forever. And that's why he's our only hope to rid ourselves of darkness. Your emotional, psychological, spiritual, and yes, sometimes even physical darkness will not be rid through fitness programs, eating right and exercise, therapists, medications, career changes, buying a new Ferrari, facial makeovers, plastic surgery, relationship, new relationships, new job, new career. So many ways in which we try to rid ourselves of the darkness. But we are told here in John 9, 5, that the light switch has to be turned on and it can't be ourselves. He's the only one who is the light of the world. Jesus is that light. You know why we have so many lights during Christmas? If you look up above, there's a lot of light. If you look on our tree, there are lights. We do it as much as we can, primarily because I need reminders that Jesus is the light of the world in the midst of darkness, and so do you. Because Jesus, just like he physically opens this man's eyes, who is blind at birth, at a time where there's no doctors, no laser surgery, no sunglasses or eyeglasses or special contact lenses that you take at night, that's a new thing that I think happened in the past few years that some of your kids are even doing, special treatments. There's no hope for this person, for all of us. But Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, said these words, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Darkness is hopelessness. Darkness is lostness. Darkness is when cancer treatments and chemotherapy doesn't work and you're moved over to hospice care. Darkness is when you're engaged and you break up. Darkness is when your career that you have invested in your whole life of work and study, suddenly it's all gone because of a single mistake that you've made. Darkness is when all of your friends at school turn on you because of a gossip, a rumor. Darkness is when your children have completely rebelled against you and you just feel as though nothing you do works anymore. I remember in the Tri-Valley, uh, about a decade ago, there was almost this epidemic of teen suicide. I remember hearing of a story where one teenager, I think it was in Pleasanton, uh, walked in front of an oncoming rushing commuter train and killed himself. That's darkness. Darkness is the fentanyl crisis that's in our country. 
that is leading to so much hopelessness and despair. Darkness is when your marriage is teetering on divorce. It's this idea of hopelessness. There's nothing we can do. And until you get to that place, you don't understand the light of the world. You never will. But you will get to that place, whether it's today, tomorrow, or maybe the last day of your life. You will know darkness. The question is, will you know the light of the world? Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Acts 16, there were two women who were living in darkness. One was named Lydia. Lydia was wealthy, smart, finely fashioned, sophisticated. She was someone, if you were, she was sitting right next to you, you would say, you look special. She's someone who belongs on Vogue magazine. Someone you say, I admire you. And then in Acts 16, there's another woman described. A slave girl, disheveled, crazed, controlled by a demon, probably smelled bad, never taking a shower, unkempt. She looked like someone who was in the dark. Lydia didn't look like someone who was in the dark. She looked like someone who was in the light. But the common uh, point between both of those women, they were both in the dark spiritually, equally. And this is the hope that Christ brings, whether you have everything or nothing, whether you are healthy or weak, whether you're losing, physically losing your sight or full sight, whether you are impoverished, demon-possessed, or sophisticated, educated. If you're in, in this room, you have to realize this truth, no matter how smart you are, no matter how well put together, no matter how educated, you cannot see the light of Christ on your own. You're completely in the darkness. But it's also for those who feel there's no hope for me. I've lived a life of utter rebellion and sin. I've been defiant and lustful and angry and deceptive. I've, I've dealt in the occult. There's no hope. It's a downward spiral. No hope of escape. The promise is that, no, there is hope for anyone, everyone. We spent this past week praying for many of you that you would see the light of the gospel of Christ today. If not today, moving forward, but that you would not wait, that you would, as to use the old English word, you would not tarry. Because we know personally what it feels like to be in the darkness. Every one of us here lived this life. There is not a single person morally righteous before God. But because God is so good, because God gave his one and only son, because this son bore full darkness, because he bore the pain and the suffering, and he knows it far better than we ever could imagine, the word became flesh. God sent his son so that he would take our sins upon himself and pay the price and punishment of that sin upon that cross so that we might have life with him forever. This is the gospel message. This is the light of Christmas. In John 1, 9, we are told the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is a Christmas verse 
He is coming into the world. That's today, tomorrow. The true light gives light to everyone. Jesus, the true light, he was born to save. He lived to understand darkness because that's all he saw throughout his life was darkness, hopelessness, despair. He died to bring us hope. He was raised to life to bring us the gift of eternal life with his heavenly father forever. And so no matter what darkness you face today, Christmas is here to remind you, you are not alone, but you must believe in him. Children, I don't know how many times you get a chance to see your kids, uh, your parents take communion. And when they, and Lord willing, if they are believers, if they come up here, I want you, I hope that produces an envy in you that says, what is that about? I want to know. This is not just about Easter and Good Friday. This is a Christmas day. This activity that we do to remind ourselves, Christ the Savior is born. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wondrous promise that in Christ Jesus we have life abundantly. We are so thankful for the gift of your son. You are so good to us. And on this day, may we not forget in the midst of the busyness of gifts, and Christmas parties, traveling, help us to just stop and to remember Jesus, that I was in the dark and you are the light of the world. That's a wonderful promise. In Jesus' name we pray.